Here's a story from Rav Meisels, who survived Auschwitz. He was a rabbi from Hungary. He describes his experiences on Rosh Hashanah in Auschwitz. Amazing stories. Tells many, many incredible stories of the sacrifice, the heroic risks that Jews took for other people, to save other people's lives, or for just being Jewish, doing a mitzvah. He describes that when he was came into the camps, he had managed to smuggle in a chauffeur um, at great risk to his life. And at one point, uh, the Nazis um, were sending away a transport of a thousand people from the camp to another place. And these people wanted to hear the chauffeur, so they asked him, they found out he had a chauffeur, and they asked him, uh, whether he would um, blow the shofar for them, but it was very dangerous. So he blew the shofar for them, and then apparently the Nazis heard the sound of the shofar, and they were looking, who is the one who's blowing the shofar? And he had to hide until they couldn't find him, and then they, let, they forgot about it. He was able to get out. But then when other Jews on the camp, on the campgrounds, realized that he was having a chauffeur, they kept begging him to come to where they were working. They each were working in a separate block. So they want him to come to their block and they will shield him while he blows the chauffeur quickly so they can do the mitzvah. And he agreed to do it. He knew he was very dangerous and if they catch him, they kill him on the spot. But uh, every time he blew the chauffeur quickly and then when the Nazis heard the sound, he would quickly run somewhere and hide until they couldn't find him, and, and then he would come out. And he did this in several places on the camp until most Jews on the concentration camp in, that, in Auschwitz were able to hear the chauffeur. Now, the Nazis did something incredibly evil as they did throughout uh, the Holocaust. And it was one of the things that they wanted to kill and murder uh, 1,400 children below the age of 18. So they did a selection. How did they do the selection? They, they told boys of a certain age, like less than 18, to go under a pole. That means they put up a pole and stuck it in the ground and they put on the top another pole extending from that standing pole. That means it looks like a, the letter Dalit in Hebrew, right? Or it looks like a gallows. So there was a pole in the ground and a pole extending up on top. And children had to go through, uh, they were teenagers, they had to go through under the, the pole on top. And if their heads touched it, that means they were tall enough to work and they can go back to the barracks where they worked and they're fine. And if they don't reach the, the, the pole, that means they're too short then they're being relegated to a separate location, which means on the next day, on Rosh Hashanah, they will be executed. And the Nazis that way uh, got 1,400 boys that did not reach the pole. A few kids that realized that they were on the short side, that if they don't, their heads don't touch the pole, that means they'll be condemned uh, to death. So they, when they pass by under the pole, they would sort of go on their tippy toes when the Nazi saw this, he would take his, um, his rubber 
baited and kick, hit him over the head very hard. And in most cases, these kids would die on the spot from the trauma. And so they selected 1,400 boys that did not reach that pole extending from on high. And uh, they uh, were relegated to a separate place in the camp. And they were kept there behind the fence to be executed the next day in the evening. The Nazis uh, sent their victims to the chimneys, to the, to the gas chambers uh, in the evening only, usually at night. Now these boys who were sent the day before to that special place to be executed were not given any food from that point on. That means literally they fasted 24 hours before they were executed. Now, once the Nazis, the head of the camp, uh, finished his job, he appointed Kapo's Jewish inmates that were not of the finest character, but they collaborated with the Nazis in exchange for survival. At least that's what they thought. It just so happens, incidentally, that in the end they were also killed. But at that point they thought that they would gain favor with the Nazis by collaborating with them. So they would be put at guards uh, to watch these kids, make sure that nobody goes in and out of the fence. The next day, the morning of Rosh Hashanah, you know, chaos broke out in the camp. Every parent that had a child in that, that was selected for execution, many of them was the only child that's left uh, after the whole families had been killed. They tried to negotiate with the guards, begging them desperately to let them, let their kid out. Uh, they offered them money, but the, the couples were afraid. They argued that if we let the kid go and they come back, the Nazis come back the next day to, or tonight to do their job, they will see that a kid is missing because they're going to take a census. They're going to count how many kids there are and if there's a kid missing the couples will pay with their lives, right? Every kid that's missing, another couple will die. So they said, like, we can't do this. But when people offer them a lot of money, the, the desire for money uh, took over and they decided that for a certain amount of money, they will let out a kid. But what they did was they went out into the camp and grabbed another kid instead so they would have the quota that they were entrusted to. So there were parents who didn't think about it. If they could save the child, they did. Other parents were a little bit more conscientious and they realized that if they saved their kid, another child would be taken. Rabbi Meisel tells a dramatic story of a father who came to him and said, listen, am I allowed to morally, ethically do that? Save my kid, but I know in my mind that the couple will try to capture another kid. So I'm causing another kid to die by saving my son. And the rabbi told him, I can't answer this. I don't know the answer. I don't have any books to consult. But the man says, if you can't tell me, then I won't do it. That means at least there's a question. And if it's a question, that means I shouldn't be doing it. It's immoral to do it. So he, the rabbi said, no, no, don't listen to me. I don't know, but maybe you could do it. Maybe you can't do it. You should follow your conscience. And the man says, if the rabbi doesn't have an answer, I know it's at least questionable, and therefore I cannot save my son, and he didn't. His son did die that night, and the man the next day came to, they had a secret service for the second day of Rosh Hashanah, 
And when they read, we read that the story of the Akedah, the binding of Isaac, the man stood up on the table and cried, God, you spoke to Avram to give, his, give up his son to you. And I, you didn't speak to me, but I gave up my son so that another child wouldn't die. And in that merit, can't you save us, please? He says, the entire minion, everybody who was there, cried with the father. So this is the, uh, one of the episodes. Then, then when the um, Rabbi Meisels saw the kids that were fenced off for execution that night, the boys were crying out to him. They heard that he had a chauffeur. They said, listen, we're going to die tonight. We want to at least hear the chauffeur. At least do a mitzvah before we die. That's what they said. The rabbi was very hesitant because if he climbs over the fence and goes into onto their side, and the, if the officers come then and there and they catch him inside, they'll execute him as well. And Rabbi Meisel still had a son, David Leib was his name. And he's still alive, I think, or maybe he died recently, but he was the rabbi after him in Seagate in Brooklyn. His son was 13 years old and begged his father, don't go, don't go, you're the only thing I have left. And so, but then the rabbi realized that the kids were begging, begging. He said, how can I refuse them? These kids know they're going to die, and all they care about is hearing the shofar. So he told his son, you go to the fence. If you see the Nazis coming, you'll motion to me, and then I'll jump over the fence again, and then I'll save my life. But in the meantime, I'm going to go over the fence and, and do what these kids want. And his son went to the gate to watch to see if he sees any Nazis coming. And so he jumped over the fence, and the kids were literally so excited. They were just exhilarated that the rabbi came over, and he started reading the verses that we read right before Shofar. And they said, no, 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 Rabbi, stop. We're used to, when we come from, that the Rabbi gives a speech before we blow the Shofar. We need a speech first. The Rabbi said they couldn't believe his ears that these kids had the presence of mind. They want to hear a speech from the Rabbi. He says he was speechless, literally. I mean, he was so humbled and speechless before these kids. And he started telling them a few words about what the Rabbis teach, that even when you see a sword, resting on your neck, that means the person sees the danger is so immense and that there's very little chance of survival, you should never stop giving up. You should never give up from hoping to God and praying to God that he should save you because God can save you from any situation. And then he says, it says in the verses, and we say in the, in the, in the, in the, in the Psalms, God, King David says, I'll lift my eyes to the, to the mountains. And I'll say, where's my salvation? Where's my help from Hashem? My salvation going to come from? My salvation comes from Hashem Himself. Which God? The God that makes heaven and earth. Why is He bringing, juxtaposing God creating heaven and earth with the idea that God is the one who's going to save me? What does it have to do with each other? The fact that God made heaven and earth, that's why He's going to save me. He said, the Pshat is like this. The meaning is like this. When somebody says, I lift my eyes to the mountains. Sometimes we're surrounded with insurmountable mountains of challenges that seem to threaten our existence. And there seems no way out, no way out. We seem to be, our, our, our fate is doomed. We're condemned. There's no way, naturally speaking, that we can ever escape this situation. The mountains are too tall. Look how tall the mountains are. And I said, 
How am I ever going to be saved? It's impossible. So I said, no, no, no. Even under those conditions, uh, my salvation can come from Hashem right now. Why? Because Hashem, for Hashem, it, it, nothing can stop Him. He's the one who created heaven and earth in an instant. Creating the entire universe in an instant. is Now for sure, He can get you out in an instant, even from a most insurmountable situation. And this is the speech he gave, and the kids were very excited, and one kid jumped onto a little, uh, like a garbage can or something, and he started screaming the verses that we say before the shofar, and he kept um, reading verse by verse. The head of the, the, the capos, the head of the capos, was so impressed with that kid that he knew everything by heart, that he decided to save his life. And he's one of the two children only that survived, were not killed in the end due to certain circumstances. This kid or survived because the head of the capos was so impressed with him, how he remembered everything, and how he, with such passion, called out all the verses, and the kids were screaming after him every word with great, great passion and enthusiasm. And it, it just took, it, it just touched the heart of this capo. This wicked capo was touched by that sight. He decided to save at least that kid, and he managed to get him expunged from the list, and. And, uh, and he was saved, and he, he survived the war. So that kid survived the war. Uh, the rabbi then blew the shofar and immediately jumped over. And the kids thanked him. They, like, hugged him and kissed him. He says, Rabbi, you, you did something for us that was so amazing, so incredible. And, and now we feel like, you know, at least we were able to do the mitzvah of shofar. The rabbi said he can never forget that Rosh Hashanah, that Rosh Hashanah will stay with him forever. He says the incredible devotion and enthusiasm and inspiration that these kids gave him, he says he can never forget.